new OT dog with Doa. This is Doc. Hang on. Body talk. My name is John Standing Deer. Uh, I am called Bullet. I am of the Cherokee tribe. Um, I am an enrolled member of the Cherokee tribe. My blood is Cherokee. I grew up with the people. My whole life I've lived here among these mountains. And everything that I knew in life I thought was simply Cherokee. Except for one thing. I grew up not speaking the Cherokee language. My tongue is not Cherokee. Um, because of this, as I got older, I began to look and wonder about the language. And I, when I become interested in it, I tried to study, but I found out there, there simply wasn't a way. I did not have any understanding. Uh, I went to a class, of course, out of curiosity. Uh, I had never heard anybody speak. I knew that some of the older ones could speak, but it was not a prime interest in me, for me. However, once I got started, I tried, and it was so difficult that I said something was wrong. There had to be an easier way, there had to be a simpler way. Uh, one day, as I was looking at the syllabary, I seen something uh, with the syllabary and I noticed the patterns. Uh, I also noticed it in the words, which seemed strange that there were so many combinations of the syllables that they had to mean something. Uh, again, I did not know what it could be, but I kept searching. Uh, one day, after I'd seen the patterns, I took this to a friend of mine, Barbara Duncan, and I asked her, I said, would you look at this? And I said, can you see what I see? Do you understand it? She said she did. And I said, if you see it now, will you help me? And she said, yes. So I began this quest to learn more about the language. As I said, when it came to the patterns, I knew that everything in life had a pattern. The leaves on the tree, the bark on the tree, the flowers, uh, how many petals were on the flower. Everything in nature had a pattern. And I also seen the pattern in these words. So as I followed the pattern, then I, get to, I came to an understanding of how this was put together. Barbara Duncan and I have worked very hard to come up with this system, this new method of understanding how to put the language together and how to understand it, to have comprehension of it. Uh, we call this your grandmother's Cherokee. Now this method is for second language learners. This is not for speakers. Speakers do not need it for they can speak. Um, this is for anyone who has tried for years and over and over with no way of ever getting understanding and seeming to be lost in a dark room, just gasping, grasping for whatever. When I tried the earlier methods, it seemed that I was in a dark room and people said, walk. I could not walk. I didn't know where I was. And I tried to memorize and I could not memorize. Learning by rote was not fun and my mind is not big enough. I need something where there was reference points and something to build upon. This is what this method gives to you. Um, it will take work, as all languages do. Uh, when I took English in school, I had 12 years of it. I can speak English today. But, there, but one thing about Cherokee is that it has never been taught, as English has, not for 12 years for sure. People seem to grow up learning it. So as I said, this is not for the speakers. They can look at it and they can use it if they want to understand it in a different way. But this is for people, again, who want to learn, did not have a way, and now there is a way. I ask you to try it, to enjoy it, have fun with it, and hopefully one day speak Cherokee. Thank you.
ตาลีจกว่าตาลดูเฮียนี่คลีจะละกี้อานิวอนิสกีตินิยอลเฮอันเลนิฮาอันโดเลกว่าจะละกี้อานิวอนิฮิสติอาเซโนจุนทะนา
And the lady's like, hey, those are for breakfast. So nobody touched them. So we sit there for like two hours, two or three hours talking around this box of Pop-Tarts. So they're thinking, well, it's bread. Bread is God do. And uh, like, okay, so God do. Now we need to think of Pop. How do you say it pops? And they they were going on this linguistic trip and this other stuff. I remember they were saying, go do, go do, something go do. Back home, if you say God do, it's bread. If you say go do, it's on top. So I just kept hearing on top, on top. They finally figured out some kind of word for it pops. And even they weren't sure. They were just kind of looking at a little resource dictionary thing. And they're like, we're going to go with this word. Something, something could do. And they was like, what would y'all say? I said, well, I told them. I said, well, back home, it's just Uganos. They said, what is Uganos? It's just something sweet. Uganos can be a Pop-Tart. It can be cookies. It can be cake. Something, it's a sweet treat. So to us, that's what Uganos is. I mean, I, I won't forget that. I mean... I don't know if that was cool or not, but it was definitely a different experience. Would you come to another one? Another one of these? Would you do oh, yeah. another symposium? Yes, I would come to another symposium. I definitely would. It's been an experience. It's been fun. Um, Blake Dagordoa, um, Carbo Zinela, I should know Pembroke de Guaynasha. My name's Blake. I live in Carbo, but my home is Pembroke. Um, I'm a Lumbee Cherokee Nation, and I'm a student at UNC Chapel Hill, studying anthropology and American Indian Indigenous Studies, and I'm here just trying to Fair learn my own native language. We're also learning new ways to help perpetuate into the future. I came to the symposium because I'm in taking Dr. Ben Fry's Cherokee 101 class at UNC Chapel Hill. And the main reason why I'm taking this class is because as a Cherokee, I want to learn my native language. Dr. Fry made us get in a circle. We had to lock up arms. And one of us fell down. We had to hold each other up. And he said, like, this is how y'all's going to learn this language. By if one person falls down, you pick the other self up. One thing I've learned by being in college in general the best way to build bonds with each other is by struggling together. Just like the Cherokee philosophy of Gadugi, uh, working together for the good of all. That's why I started learning Cherokee is like practicing the principle of Gadugi. Like we're all struggling learning this language, so the best way to help each other out is just coming together as a people, as a community, and help each other learn. The one thing I probably didn't expect just seeing the more different programs out here, I expect it'd be like other colleges, but maybe not as many. That's also interested in the language because I was surprised by many students from like from Western Carolina actually here that's actually trying to learn the language and actually become teachers themselves. That was very interesting. I expect to see that. Um, but yeah, that's like my biggest thing I've seen. It's like actually seeing people, native and non-native, being dedicated to the cause. Just my opinion, I just, I know with non-natives, their help is invaluable. Especially here in the Eastern Man, it was the non-native guy who was adopted by the Cherokee tree to help get the koala boundary as is today. So there are ways for non-natives to help natives in a very respectful way. I do, I do like the idea because Natives, we can only do so much, and we need allies. And having like non-natives also as allies, that they can, because they can be in spaces that just we won't be in, and they'll be able to bring resources that we just don't have to the cause, and better help us succeed in it. Sio kinesiti hi taudo yonek ia taudo jalak talakwa Oklahoma jinela aseno donhukon autesi dola. Utan jin delquast, digite yohesk, jalek wonehisti digite yohesk. In English, my name is Kandesa Tihi. In Cherokee, they call me Pumpkin. And I live in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. I grew up around the Bayan area, and I am a teacher of Cherokee language at a we call Utan Jindel Quast, which is like a college. We came to what we call Jalaguet, uh, which is like old Cherokee Nation, basically, for a language conference at 
Western Carolina University. I uh, brought some students last year also, and we had such a good experience that I, uh, I brought six new students this year. The number of fluent speakers that we have grows less and less each year, and we have students who want to change that and who want to reverse that trend, and I, I'm hopeful for the future because of those students. I would say, especially for uh, the students that I've had in my own classrooms, that learning language together is almost like creating a second family. Um, and for some students, it's almost like creating a first family. It's it's a very powerful feeling of connection because language is, is social. It's what connects us. And um, my students feel that very strongly. And they develop connections outside of the classroom and outside of the program in, in very, very meaningful ways. And then plus, they're meeting all of these other students who have the same passion and desire. So they forged these new connections and almost like um, created extended family, like cousins, sort of. Anything you would like to say, just that you want to put out there, anything else? Um, it's never too late to start learning Cherokee. It's never too late. Um, it's here for all of us. It's something that was created through the ingenuity of, our, of, of thousands of our ancestors. And they're the ones who put the love into the world that brought us into being. It's a miracle that we're here. And it's an honor for us to carry the language forward.
I know you all can't hear me on this microphone, but we are live streaming this event. So this is for everybody um, that's watching this online. Uh, thank you all for coming today. And um, we have a really good crowd here. We're running out of seats. We're about to outgrow this room with our Lunch and Learns. So um, really excited today about J.P. Johnson being here and the topic that he's going to be talking about. We get a lot of questions, um, emails, phone calls about uh, traditional Cherokee tattoos. What, what were we using? Uh, what were the methods? What were the symbols? So really excited that um, JP's here today to talk about this. Um, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. Um, if everybody could, please silence their phone, your phones or turn them off. Um, the restrooms are located right behind me here um, to my left. So maybe he might be running out. But we're going to go ahead and get started, and I want to thank you all again for coming, and um, looks like you all missed us, so I'm excited. We took a little bit of a break there for a while, but I'm really excited to be back with doing these monthly presentations. Again, I sent around a sign-in sheet, so if you could just go ahead and sign that. It gives me a, you know, a number of people that were here, and then also if you want to be added to my email list um, for events like this that we'll be having. All right, thanks. I'm not going to speak very good Cherokee today, but uh, you guys can overlook it. I, I, I would appreciate it. Um, initially, whenever I was asked to come and talk about this, I uh, immediately thought of a, a situation that happened after years and years and years of me researching tattoos and trying to figure them out and all of those kinds of things I probably asked at least I'd, I'd say at least three or four hundred fluent speakers what the Cherokee Cherokee word for tattoo was um, and I, I had no luck nobody said anything nobody had a word for it everybody just said well that's just a a picture, Dotley lost something along those lines, you know. Uh, but finally, one day, it just so happened, I was sitting with uh, a couple of master speakers, including uh, Cora Flute and Gary Van and Dora Shell, and we were just visiting and hanging out. And I said, "Katohadi uh, hina." How do you say this? And they said, You guys recognize that word? Or any, any people in this room recognize the first part of that word? Everybody say that. You're talking about yourself. You're saying that's my name. Like if I introduce myself, I'd say JP. You notice that there's a little bit more on the end of that. It, it has to do with something being documented or written down. This is my name as it's written. This is my identity, these things. That's what our people used to do. And when they told me this, I was floored because I'd been asking speakers over and over and over and over again forever. 
over and over again and, and to no avail. I'm talking the cream of the crop of speakers of, the, of Cherokee Nation, people that know, the, know their stuff. And nobody had a word for this. And when I asked them and they told me, they couldn't understand how excited I was. Because when our people didn't have the syllabary, they had imagery that they used to, to document things. And those images were oftentimes their own tattoos. Um, this right here says Junadowela. Their names as they're written. I'm talking about their tattoos. Let's see. Their identities were literally document, documented on all kinds of things. I'm talking on war clubs, weapons, you name it. They would take and make an effigy of their own selves and put that down on paper even. This is a document where a Seneca guy was actually um, signing a, an order from a, from a trader or somebody that he was trying to trade with. And he signed it with his, his face. You can see he's got lines going across his chest and a line swooping down over the front of his face and another line coming from his nose and a bunch of hash marks going around the top and then something else alongside his mouth. This is a sternum tattoo. That's his chest. That's his signature. He signed his name. Essentially, when they tattooed themselves a long time ago, they were recording exactly who they were. They were recording their clans. They were recording their spiritual deities that they um, utilized in battle, utilized in their lives, fasted and prayed for. They were documenting their military history. My tattoos, or my name as it's written. Your tattoos. Do Dohuela, somebody else's that's not included in this conversation. Junadohuela, their tattoos. This guy here, you can see those hash marks running across his face and across his forehead. He doesn't just have frown lines up there. That's those are tattoos. You can see his throat is tattooed, and that's a really prominent thing amongst Cherokees specifically having your throat tattooed. These guys are kind of famous. People sometimes refer to them as the Three Kings. There's a bunch of different tribal people, southeastern, eastern woodlands people that traveled to England, uh, including Cherokees. These three guys are Cherokee. There were other tribes that went as well, and they all ended up having, happening to be people that were heavily tattooed. Um, but you can see pretty closely that it wasn't just one or two tattoos sometimes they ended up with, but oftentimes their, their whole face was covered. This guy here's got quite a few. But they, they did these things for a reason. They did these things oftentimes because they earned them. Nowadays, people are looking for those reasons. People are wanting to 
to tattoo themselves for the reasons that their ancestors did. Well, unless you killed 16, 17 people or something along those lines, you can't really do it for that reason. Our tattoos are not going to be utilized as they once were. There are military members that are documenting the stuff that they did while they were in the military, and that's pretty close. But to, to keep record of the people that, that, you, that you've taken in battle or, or scalps you've taken or the times that you've been wounded and things like that is oftentimes not going to be the case. They didn't just do it on their faces, but they also did it on their bodies in other places. But for the most part, everything just about on the face was a military record. You guys have military family. You guys, some of y'all been in the military. You understand what, whenever you're wearing your uniform, or when they wore their uniforms, they have that little section right here on their uniform where they documented specifically what war they, what encounter they were in, what war they went to, what happened to them while they were there, what they did. All of those things are recorded right there on the, on the lapel of their, their jackets and coats and things of that nature, their military ribbons, their, their records of valor, so to speak. This is their recording that on their faces. They recorded that on their faces to, to not only show their community, but also show their enemies who they were and who they were dealing with whenever they encountered their enemies. This guy is quite possibly keeping a record, a tally of how many people that he's probably killed in battle, how many times he's been wounded. This maybe these are second, second and third engagements or whatever. <coughs> But you see something a little different over here in the corner of his mouth. A lot of people are confused by those types of things and they, and they don't necessarily understand what they mean. We can't specifically say for certain that, that it is, but the, but the greatest amount of information out there says that these, these other images that were not obviously, obviously not a record of something have something to do with either spiritual or religious practices and something that protects them. This is something that he finds himself connected to, a uh, spiritual deity, something along those lines, probably the sun, maybe a bird, maybe both. Um, but they oftentimes will have multiple ones on their faces and on their bodies. These are things that they kept, kept account for things that they, they showed the rest of the world that they had spiritually, the strengths that they had spiritually. Oh. I talked about the throat already. Uh, your throat being a, a, a pretty important place as far as battle was concerned. Um, I would imagine that if, uh, if you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat with somebody, uh, you would more than likely want to protect this area quite a bit. Uh, it's my hypothesis only that tattooing your throat was a way to keep your head, a way to protect your throat and keep your head. And, and a long time ago, they took heads. Our ancestors were no um, 
timid individuals. There were probably uh, two seasons throughout the year, wintertime and wartime, and they enjoyed going to war. And so um, it was something that, that most men had to do or felt like as though they had to do in order to uh, gain any status within their community. But for Cherokee specifically, throat and sternum tattoos are majorly prominent. Now all of the other southeastern tribes and also the eastern woodlands tribes all the way up into the northeastern part of the United States, Canada and New York, uh, they, they did, did so as well. So with these images that you see sometimes, this guy is a Cherokee. You can see he's got a, a large circle right here across his his throat and then there's I don't know what you would call them sunbursts maybe going this way um, having to do with something to do with the sun something to do with um, spirituality strength all of those kinds of things you can see with this guy here this is a Yuchi guy he's got a pretty neat looking throat tattoo that actually repeats the same image over and over again as it goes around his throat and then a snake on his forehead and something along something else spiritual going on here and here probably more sunbursts on this side and then you can also see his chest tattoo that runs down his sternum some people say that that's plumage or that it represents um, bird feathers some people say that, that each one of those represents um, something that he accomplished in battle or in his life or something along those lines. There's a lot of different speculation as to what these things specifically are. Um, there are people, especially with the Muscogee speaking people, our Creek and Nachi and Yuchi and, and uh, um, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Biloxi, Tunica, all of those Muscogean-speaking peoples, um, they play a ball game, a man-to-man -man ball game every year. And they play it at their ceremonial grounds and it's very, very brutal. And it's uh, not tamed down to any degree, but you'll see those, those players dancing all night the night before wearing a long red fringe across their chest. There are some people that believe that this is the original version of that and that this fringe that they're wearing at the ball game represents this old tattoo because they were considered skilled warriors and or ball players same thing when i told you that we we we, uh, we carved effigies of ourselves into our personal items um, this is a really really good example um, you see the long linear mark running across his chin. You see the sunburst or the avion or a bird's wings or something along those lines bursting out from his, his mouth. And then these hash marks going this way all the way down. You can see it's really defined on that one right there. So each one of these looks like a point. More than likely, those are the times that he was wounded. More than likely, that was the amount of times that he was wounded in battle, and he kept that record on his face. Then he, put, he then he, then, you can see others up above it. Then he did this on his war club, and they probably left that in a body 
or next to a body in a, in a battle to let his enemies know who it was specifically. It was his calling card. It was saying, I did it, and basically taunting them. Oftentimes they would either leave it in the body or laying up against the body, pointed in the direction of the community that that person was from that they just killed. Pretty fierce individuals, crazy stuff. This guy's Iroquois, this guy's Yuchi, and this guy's Cherokee. You'll see variation in throughout the, the Eastern Woodlands tribes and probably all over uh, the United States, but the Eastern Woodlands shared designs in common, but they oftentimes used them for subtly different reasons or in subtly different places, uh, depending upon what they wanted to do, depending on what they wanted to, to represent. Um, aside from that, that's the end of that. I, I, uh, I don't have too much else to show as far as that's concerned. I'm going to hand this around for everybody. The images that are in this book are copyrighted, so I didn't show it up here on the, on the, on the film, but everybody that's here is going to get to look at these things. These are pretty accurate Cherokee-specific tattoo designs that have been recreated as flash that somebody could get tattooed on themselves. Variations of these things, you can change them, you can make them a little different, you can make them a little better, whatever you'd like. But really at this point, um, with the slideshow and all of that kind of thing, I would much prefer just to talk to you guys. So um, I'm going to open it up and kind of let you guys ask questions and things of that nature and, and I'm going to hand this around for you guys to uh, to check out on your own. Are there any questions thus far? Did they do the tattoos themselves or did they have lots of people that did them? There, was, there, were, there were people that did them for them. Um, if, if, uh, if someone tattooed themselves, uh, it was other people, well, it's, it's, it's easy to do, but other, other people would question if they really did the things that they were tattooing themselves about. If I, sh if I showed up and I had a big long line here in the 1720s and all of my buddies were standing there and I had a hash mark, you know, all of a sudden 16 or 17, 18 hash marks running across my face, they would go, uh, who was there for these occasions when you did that or something along those lines. So they probably had to have somebody else uh, tattoo them. Not only that, but, but it was a painful, painful process. And on the face, uh, the majority of the tattoos that, that incurred on the face were oftentimes cut in with flint or a really sharp instrument, probably flint in most cases. And those designs were then uh, rubbed with, uh, with soot or cinnabar or red ochre or all kinds of, they used all kinds of stuff, whatever they could come up with, even lead. Uh, later on. So uh, yeah, they poisoned themselves with lead and probably made themselves crazy. But anyways, uh, they, they would rub, the, rub the, the design in after they had already cut it into place on the face, usually. Uh, the body, in most cases, um, there are several different accounts and several different means in which they did so. Uh, using old gar sharp, sharpened gar teeth, and uh, and pricking the design in and then rubbing the ink in afterwards or the or the soot or the pigment in afterwards oftentimes also they would take um, 
uh, uh, turkey bones, the same bones that they would use for scratchers for you know the ceremonial ball games and uh, and or just purification because we scratch ourselves and as part of ceremonies and we still do, do do these at the ceremonial grounds anyhow but they but they would sometimes take sharpened bones and it all went, went from that point all the way to the point where they were actually using full-fledged traded for sewing needles and they were literally binding those to flat wooden surfaces and making what would be like you know you, if you go, if you ever been to a tattoo shop, you know that that the, they can buy tattoo needles that are already made that have, you know, multiple needles all on one long point that you put in the tattoo gun and you run that together, and it, you can do wide surfaces really quickly. They were binding needles together, multiple needles together, even back then, and and tattooing themselves in that regard too. Most likely, it was uh, it was hand poke designs it was not necessarily always there the the Polynesian folks did that hand hand tapped tattoo tattoo but there are some Nachi folks that do uh, say that that we did that as well in the southeast but the all the documentation that I have is, is points to the to the idea that they actually would just hand poke it into the skin Wahila. Um, yeah, and uh, I saw a lot of tattooing in those communities. It didn't die. Uh, so, what, <laughs> is there any kind of documentation from, say, my childhood, which I'm not going to say how long ago that was, but uh, back to maybe removal where tattooing was mentioned or existed? I have not found anything. And if you ever run across some of it, uh, I'll, 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 I'll rob, steal, and cheat to get a <laughs> copy of it. Um, but no. it's so prevalent because yeah. we saw uh, the kids from Bell, uh, kids from Kenwood. The tattooing was so consistent on their on their forearms and their hands. And mm -hmm. It never really died. It never really died completely. I mean, the, the initially the 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 missionaries when they came amongst us, there were a couple of a couple of things that they were like instrumentally trying to snuff out. Uh, one of them was the ball game because they didn't like us being like mostly naked and the other was uh, was tattooing that was something that was really really majorly frowned upon and so uh, those things seemingly died completely but they didn't actually die completely and as with all cultures even you know um, just military members the the uh, tattooing in the military runs way deep all the way back in into the times when sailors were first going amongst you know Polynesians and things of that nature so tattooing never really completely di died out in our communities and even now uh, with a resurgence of traditional tattoos or tra traditional tattoo designs I guess uh, the th there still exists a, a, a hefty amount of tattooing that you know doesn't necessarily have to be um, old school it doesn't necessarily have to be that I mean how many guys you guys know that have in the in tattooed on their arm you know I know a bunch of those guys but uh, but we 
but we have we have a, 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 a never really lost it completely. It was just something that kind of the traditional reasoning behind it may have changed. But with that said, within the communities that you just mentioned, there's there's a what would you say a rough element of young folks, tough guys in the community that end up with these tattoos. The people. Um, sometimes we'll marginalize the, the, these young groups of people. I don't believe we should do that. I think we should embrace them. We should embrace them and empower them and give them the, 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 some positive influence and let them know that, that their community pride is important and to take care of that community is important. And, and, uh, and that's pretty much what warriors were a long time ago. They were, they were people that were protecting their communities. So uh, with the, 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 the rough and tumble young folks of Kenwood or uh, anywhere, uh, they, you know, my family's from Rocky Mountain. If, if, if our old people wrap their arms around them and say, that's all right, you come with us, it may just be that we reconnect that old system you know, reconnect things and change them the way they were. They get on, get me on my soapbox, and I'll preach forever. But you know, uh, yeah, tattooing—it's it's never really died out completely. Um, any other questions? Some of the older symbols, like the by fork and tri fork, the lightning bolt. Uh huh. Can you kind of maybe explain the meanings of those? The lightning bolt, some people say, has to do with oration, being an orator. That's a great speaker. You know, that was a prideful, th uh, an important thing with our, with our people, having lightning bolt tattooed right, right here out the side of your mouth. Lightning has to do with medicine. Am I correct in telling my visitors in studio that that would be kind of like a calling card? You could tell that he was a storyteller or a good speaker by looking? You, the, you, that, that would oftentimes be the case. Or, or also it could be simply that he was um, utilizing he believes that he's utilizing the spiritual strengths of certain kinds of medicine uh, when speaking, when singing, when doing anything of public nature oftentimes, and going to war, I suppose. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, some people say that that represents the, the one that, you're talking about one that just went right over the eye? Some people say that that's like a falcon eye or, or, or harnessing the skills or the abilities of that particular bird um, and or that great big mythical um, uh, hawk. Oh, okay, what do we don't, does anybody remember what that's called? Doug used? Flanderwald. that's it. <laughs> so uh, either or, yeah, definitely much. What about the dots in the chin? My dots? Hey. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the, yeah, I, I probably have been in that many. No, um, uh, there are multiple reasons that I got these tattooed on my, on my chin, and, and, uh, and, some, and some of them I keep to myself, uh, but one of them is, is, um, is one that I tell people often because I get asked. I mean, you can't not get asked. Have tattoos on your face and people not ask you questions. So, uh, 
a long time ago. Um, what about the time of statehood? We had roughly 26, 27 up to 30 maybe uh, uh, Cherokee ceremonial grounds. That's a lot. That's a lot of communities that had uh, dances, medicine, ceremonies, open use of medicine, tobacco, all of that kind of stuff. Speeches made by old men telling, telling us the way to be and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a lot of communities that had that. Now there's about six. So that's an awful lot of communities that have lost those things. They're not completely lost. Some people just travel from one community to the next and go, go dance over somewhere else. But used to, just about every community had a ceremonial fire and they had a ceremonial ground, a stomp ground. Um, this tattoo on my face is actually a promise I made to myself whenever I started working for Cherokee Nation about 10 years ago that uh, by the time I'm an old man, man, I'm getting close. Um, there'll be 16. I'll be pushing our culture, traditions, language, everything so hard in the community like a drug dealer. Pushing it, giving it to those kids, giving them themselves so much so that by the time I'm an old man, there'll be 16 ceremonial grounds. These, these things will be revived in this community, that community, the, you know. I want them to live. So it's a, something I have to look at every day, this promise on my face. I have to open, you know, get up and wipe the sleep out of my eye and look in the, look in the mirror and remember that, that, that I promised myself I wouldn't quit. I was in a book. They did a, they, they, there was a book written by Lars Krutik <laughs> about, about tattooing, but I, um, there's been lots of people that have done this. Um, for Polynesian folks, women would tattoo themselves specifically in this area or, or uh, um, also uh, in the, in the uh, uh, coastal region over near in California. A lot of those tribes over there have a chin tattoo specifically for women. Cherokees and other southeastern people not only tattooed their chins, uh, but that's probably about the spot where it began. Then they would, ta they would tattoo themselves further oftentimes. The jawline, uh, you name it. Um, I've seen dots. Yep. Same thing? Same thing. They, they, they oftentimes... Uh, there were Cherokee women that went to war. So there were women that sometimes could document these things on their faces. Often, but but most, of the, most of the time, these things were, were, were showing their status within their community. Maybe uh, oftentimes showing um, how many children they had or how many, you know, how many husbands they may have had. Eh? Uh, <laughs> Cherokee women, you know, you know they, could, they could have as many as they wanted. So, uh, at least a long time ago. Uh, well, maybe so still yet today, some of y'all laughed. <laughs> God. But, uh, but yeah, they, were, they would document, there was usually something to do with, with them in their community. Uh, women did tattoo themselves, uh, their bodies, and, but there's less things written about those. The problem with just about everything that exists in written form is simply this. 
They didn't care. Those white settlers that came amongst us, those European folks that came amongst us, the people that were documenting and writing things down, they didn't want to talk to women. They wanted to talk to men. They would have learned a lot more had they talked to the women. They probably would have gotten a little more accurate information because the guys like to mess with them a little bit and tell them, tell them stories just to play with them. But the women, uh, there would have been a lot more information out there had they spoken with them more. So there's less documentation about the reasoning behind women's tattoos. But the majority of the oral history that I know um, from asking old folks around here, uh, some of them talk about the reason that they did that was to demonstrate their standing within the community. So. Whoa. Standing in the community, I was going to say about Nachi chin tattoos, they say that's you have a responsibility that you can't get rid of because you don't have a face. And it goes right in line with my, my big freaking promise to myself. All right. It's a sunburst. It's like uh, the sun is a pretty powerful element within our communities. Within, Well, some people will, will argue uh, that uh, the ceremonial fire is connected to the sun or the sun is uh, or the that the ceremonial fire maybe is uh, a physical representation of the power behind the sun so uh, images of the sun on your body is like um, referencing literally the strength of the sun the power of the sun the sun does all kinds of stuff for us um, be quite quite hard to to uh, to live in this world if the sun didn't exist. Uh, so the sun's a super important thing, and that ceremonial fire is is uh, like a scaled down or little version of that. So tattooing um, celestial things like stars, the sun, all of those kinds of things, oftentimes is going to be uh, pretty important, and that's what it's what it is for me. No gifts. Um, so I was looking at tattoos for women as well. And what I've noticed is I've seen them women, but then there would be bands. They just lines mm -hmm. around the arms mm -hmm. and like both sides. Yep. So what's the meaning of that? Some of that may be simply decoration. But um, with that said, uh, the... I've got a buddy who's who's Mikasuki Seminole, and uh, and when he was mm, 15, 16 years old, somewhere around there, they tattooed him in in Florida, just with one single band around his arm, and he said that that was something that he had to do um, when he got named. And while most Cherokees in this area, most Cherokees. Um, I guess in, even in the Eastern Band, uh, uh, believe that you only get one name in your life. Uh, when you're born, you know your grandma or your grandpa or somebody, the oldest female relative in your family probably names you. Um, it changes. I think, that, I think that our people gained more than one name throughout their lives. Now, if it's, if it's something that could be applied to women, it's possible that those women that had bands, each time they put a different band was because of some life-altering situation. Uh, 
Maybe they almost died. Maybe they, maybe they went to war with, with the men. Maybe they almost died during childbirth. Maybe a, they had a sickness and had a dream or something along the, a lot of different things, reasons behind it. So, uh, but these things I can only hypothesize and speculate. I can't tell you specifically that, that that's, that's what, that was the case, but it's highly likely. Mm-hmm. I was working in a field lab at an archaeological dig. Mm-hmm. When it came in, and they were looked like push pins, didn't it? Yeah, they were no bigger around than this lid, just mm-hmm. for your thumb. But they had a needle point still mm-hmm. on them, and we found six. There could have been more, but there were at least six. Mm-hmm. And it was quite amazing to see how consistent. These were hand manufactured. I mean, they didn't have a press to punch them out. Right. But they were very consistent in size and weight. Yeah. 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 They just pushed them in there. Yeah. Hand poke stuff is probably the, the most accurate way that we did it. Did it um, in the southeast. Uh, go ahead. Um, when I last December, I was in Palm Springs. Uh-huh. And I met this young lady, she was younger than me, I'm sure, probably about 24, and she had a tattooing here. And her tribe had a traditional revitalization that they were doing. So <coughs> there was a handful of women who um, went through <coughs> all this, these tradi- they did it in a traditional way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I'm Choctaw. So Choctaw Nation, they're not, we have 10 tattoos also. We are, they're not anywhere near this type of revitalization. Or is the Cherokee Nation type of uh, As an entity of it, in and of itself, no. A- am I looking to do so? Yes. Um, all right. All right. Um, I. I have the I have every intention of doing so. I just want to line everything out specifically uh, as as accurately and or as best as I can. Um, we cannot we cannot tattoo ourselves um, with the old imagery for the exact same reasons anymore. Uh, we we can't. Uh, we can, however, uh, utilize those images to suit our own worldview, to suit the way things are, to suit, to suit our lives, and to represent what we want, essentially. It would be nice if we lived exactly the way that we did a long time ago, but we don't. Um, you know, you get mad at somebody, you just go whoop them and, and, uh, and take note of it, you know, and, uh, and nobody takes you to jail. That'd be really cool in my, my case. Um, but, but at the same time, you, you know, we, we live in this modern world, so we have to, to, things have changed. Just like our language isn't exactly the same as it once was, um, it can't be because it's alive. It's alive. Sanskrit, that's a dead language. Aramaic, it's dead. Cherokee language ain't dead. In our tattooing, we revived that, it ain't dead either. Southeastern tattooing. So, um, if, we, if we reawaken it, if we perpetuate it, 
if, and we do so on our own terms and in the way that we want, um, it can be a good thing. I believe that the, that tattooing a long time ago was was ceremonial, um, whereas uh, you know it ne wasn't necessarily you know somebody walks into a shop and picks something off the wall and says I want that because that looks cool. It's these these things were done. Uh, for these old reasons, but but they were done specifically, I believe, with with medicine, with ceremonies, um, with fasting, with prayer, all of those kinds of things. So um, I get my ducks in a row, and that's what I'll be doing. And I won't be it won't be a, a I'm trying to make money off of you. It'll be I'm doing it because I want people to do it. There are other women that want it too. Yeah. Like I have sisters who are just like, uh, and we're young. Yeah. So. Like I've wanted for a really long time, but one of my questions is, is like, what do you run to as far as policy? What, what about your employer's policy? How does, how does that, like, even in Cherokee Nation? With, with my tattoos? Well, uh, nobody never did told me nothing. <laughs> I just showed up. The way uh, I was already working for Cherokee Nation at the time, when I first got these dots on my chin, uh, the rest of the tattoos that I've gotten after the fact or whatever, uh, you know, uh, nobody's ever told, said anything to me. Um, <coughs> I, I work in a cultural department of Cherokee Nation, so that helps uh, because working in the cultural department, I can say, well, this is cultural. Um, so nobody's ever given me any flack for it, but uh, a lot of people um, in other areas of Cherokee Nation, they, that might be something that's frowned upon, but it is not there's no, um, I don't think there's anything in HR that says that you cannot have tattoos or anything. That, I don't think there's anything that says any of that. But when uh, you start developing any curriculum or any that kind of stuff, you'll get, you'll, you'll get, <laughs> you'll get all those. Oh, yeah? yeah. You start putting it in writing. Uh, you'll get it. So you never know. <laughs> any other questions, comments, or concerns, or just stuff you want to know? What's up? It's the most heathen thing I could think of. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Everybody was like, do I believe him or not? Uh, the, it, it is. It's pretty heathen. Um, the, they're old stories. There's lots of old stories that, uh, that talk about some of the... Some of the tattoos that I get, I, I, the information behind those are pretty accurate information, and I know exactly what they mean because they're from, they're from old uh, shell fragments or gorget designs and things of that nature and artwork, that stuff that wasn't necessarily tattooed at one time but was definitely important imagery that our people utilized both spiritually, religiously, you know, ceremonially, all that kind of stuff, uh, and this even or this this hand with an eye on the in in the center of it uh, is something that's really really super prominent with that with, throughout the southeast and eastern woodlands tribes. Um, for us, this this eye in the in the center of this hand or this hand represents the hand of the thunderer. The hand of the thunderer is a spiritual being or a, um, a celestial being, whatever you want to call it. But the, the, this person, the thunderer, originally was the Cherokee, the first Cherokee man. His name was Kanati. And then he became the thunderer later on. 
and it was the Thunderer that defeated a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say evil, but powerful things, dangerous things. Uh, so this, this hand is often depicted with a couple of snakes tattooed around it or, or drawn around it that are tied in knots, uh, symbolizing the idea that, that, that uh, the Thunderer defeated those uh, rattlesnakes and or Uktana, whichever one you want to call it. Um, but they, uh, it's like saying good prevailing over evil, so to speak. Um, we're at our ceremonial grounds, uh, oftentimes there's uh, a medicine that people utilize at the ceremonial grounds that's sometimes referred to as the seven thunders. Um, lightning and thunder uh, go hand in hand, and, and if it's the seven thunders, then, the, then that, that's medicine that's been, uh, been or has the qualities and the strength of the thunderer. Uh, so in a way it's like tattooing a symbol for medicine on your throat in a way it's like tattooing uh, you know good over evil good over bad you know all of that kind of stuff uh, and, I, and I suppose even in this day and age maybe it's just a way for me to keep my head I don't know any other questions I don't care. I've heard I've heard people say, I've heard I've heard I've heard women say, oh, well, I don't want to get a tattoo on my belly because when when I get older, it's gonna it's gonna um, like you know not be so so perfect, and uh, and I always go, so what? Are you gonna be showing everybody your belly when you get older, anyways? No. So so go ahead and just get it anyways. Ear gauges. This is pretty prominent uh, in just popular culture to right now today. You see a lot of young people with this kind of stuff. I didn't do it because I thought it was cool that they were doing it. I did it because it's the kind of the closest thing you can get to uh, the old style of splitting your earlobes that our ancestors used to do a long time ago. They actually would uh, t take and cut around the rim of the ear all the way up to this point and wrap that all with copper wire and have big hoops that hung off the back sides of their ears or sometimes tie those together behind their heads. But these, these stretched gauges is, is, is kind of a, a modernized, close version of that. Um, that, and that. And that's the reason that I did it. Uh, the reasoning that they did it a long time ago, I think that, that it had to do with status. I think that it had to do with um, with uh, showing off, being flashy, and, and also doing this. You go into war and you got earlobes that stick out off the top back sides of your ear and you come back and those suckers aren't ripped out. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, you're pretty scosty, right? <laughs> you're a pretty tough guy if you show up and you still got those things are still intact. On top of that, uh, there is uh, one uh, elder that I've talked to that said that, that it also had to do with, with uh, heightening one's uh, hearing by, you ever try to sneak up on a rabbit? <laughs> do it. Try it one time. See, see if you can sneak up on a rabbit. You can't because he's got big ears, right? He's going to hear you. Well, maybe they may, this, this was just something somebody said that, that quite possibly they, they stretched their earlobes or made their ears bigger like that so that they could uh, 
heighten their, their sense of hearing, so to speak. The disclaimer is on tattoos and ear piercing or ear stretching and both that that always means that. Well, it doesn't. Yep. People always ask me, well, you've got multiple earrings in your ears. How come you don't stretch? Because my family's never stretched. We always have three or five holes. That's it, not four holes. And so that's my family thing. That's not mm -hmm. It can be specific to one clan. It can be specific to one, one community, one, one tribal group, or one entity within a community. You know, uh, the warrior society had something different. There were warriors that were tattooed a certain way, where the chiefly folks, the, the, the peacekeeping folks, were not tattooed the same way. So it, there can be, there can be va variation from tribe to tribe clan to clan, all of those kinds of things. So trying to hammer this stuff down to being one specific group or one specific way or whatever is, is kind of like, um, you know, searching for that needle in a haystack. Um, the best thing we can do, if, unless somebody stumbles across a remarkable, uh, you know, document or something historical, whatever, and find some really cool information anytime soon, we're, we're, we're at best speculating as, as to the exact reasons on everything. Um, Basically, they did it the way we do it now for what appeals to us. Yeah. I mean, it, it can represent things, uh, you know, important to you. Uh, this design right here, it, it's, that's old. That's really old. And it, you'll find it in shells and gorgets and things like that and so on and so forth. Um, and people, people have a lot of different um, beliefs as to what that represents. Some people say that represents all of creation. Some people say that represents the Four Mothers Society or Four Mothers Nation. Some people say that that, that represents... Um, I had it put drawn down to basically one word. Nigarwa, uh, that means everything, right? Nikola, um, that's always like an infinity symbol. I've had people say that this, these two, two loops that loop interchange with each other represents the first, first man and the first woman. So it's possible that these, this represents the, the, the union of the first man, first woman, and, and the beginning of creation of people, so to speak. There's a lot of different things that... that so this could be used as a romantic tattoo, you know, I love you, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. The, uh, back to your ears. Yeah. You know, I was told somewhere back in time that... The women, you know, you see pictures of, the, of women that's been etched in the books, what have you, but the men always seem to have multiple piercings, what have you, mm -hmm. larger gauge, whatever. The men sometimes wore more bling than the women did. Well, think about birds. Think about birds, specifically birds. Um, the, the, the most, most, if you go back a uh, generation or so, the major, vast majority of the Cherokee names that existed for, for boys, most of the time ended up being birds. Then you, you go through, down through our history and you talk about um, during wartime and things of that nature and, those, and, the, and the, the 
the tattoos sometimes representing birds, the plumage and all of that kind of stuff, ending, ending up being something that they represent. You know, think about that gobble that those men make at the ceremonial grounds whenever they hoop and holler around. That gobble is, is called Uwe Luke. That means somebody died. And it was, they would scalp somebody and gobble like a turkey. They still do this at ceremonial grounds. So the imita Im imitating a bird is a, is a big thing. And so, and what do birds do? Birds, the, the male birds are really pretty feathers. Female birds, they don't have to have really pretty feathers. The boys are going to chase them regardless. But the, but the, but the men... The men, the male birds have to be pretty. They strut around and show off their feathers and all that kind of stuff. It's very much the same thing. And everything that is kind of influenced by those kinds of, those kinds of ideas. Tattoos, when we were talking about those, did they not maybe use like fish bones or things? And those that Our teeth, fish bones, you name it. Finished pieces like this, there would have been like whelps, wouldn't there? If they, if they cut them in, in specifically on their face, yes, they did actually end up raising and scarring a bit. Um, the, uh, even now, even if you get a modern, modern tattoo now, sometimes you can feel the texture of that ink kind of raised on your skin a little bit. So even with that, this modern, you know, um, modernized, uh, technologically advanced form of tattooing, uh, you still end up with a little bit of a scar to it. You cut some, cut your face with with flint and rub uh, powder into that into that until it festers, and they got sick. And this is what the, so some people say that th this is why they fasted. They fasted because they knew they was going to get sick. Some people say they fasted because they they knew when they got sick they needed to be in a spiritual place to do so. That's why I believe these tattoos, if we do them the old way or try to revive the old way of implementation, that we need to do it uh, ceremonially so that um, that person uh, isn't just getting an image tattooed on them, but they're, they're, they're doing something that their ancestors did. That's new, man. That's new stuff. Very new. Yeah, that's true. How are we doing on time? We're doing we're good? Any more questions, comments, or concerns? What up? You mentioned that you know, different communities might have different interpretations, different tribes, different locations, maybe even in different times. You know. uh -huh. 200 years later, the same symbol might be something different. Um, you know, in, in today's world, people get tattoos for self-expression. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it, it's clear that there were probably some individual concepts of self-expression even among our ancestors. But you pointed out earlier that um, that a person didn't get tattooed alone because it was a, a community thing. 
So, so to me, that seems to be one of the one of the differences between the modern tattoo trend and. Absolutely. Yeah, somebody, so if I'm driving down the road and I just get uh, wild hair and decide, decide I want to get a tattoo, I just pull over and there's a shop and hook me up, Joe, you know, and I can do it all by myself. And nobody has to be there with me. But that makes a lot of sense, too, to, to, to do things as, as a group or do things collectively as a community. It's important. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> JP, have you um, looked at any old photographs from the 1800s uh, to see, if, like, in detail? I try. I try to find some, but I don't have. They all wear long sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> They're all buttoned down like this. Who? Who? Oops. Who would have thought? That, uh, you know, maybe underneath all of those uh, seminary gowns, they're all tattooed underneath, you know. You know, you never know. Good job. Good job. Yeah. All right.